What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins. Today is Friday, July 29th, 2022. It's part of the pod. Mailbag episode. So what are we talking about? That's up to all of you. Let's find out. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, and your host here for Power to the Pod on a Friday episode of Locked on Dolphins. Today is Friday, July 29th, 2022, and I want to thank everybody who is making Locked on Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. We, of course, still getting player interviews we're getting practice clips we had uh brandon jones mic'd up at practice courtesy of the dolphin social media team um so we're really starting to get into uh, the, the depths of dolphins preseason content and it's a beautiful thing but uh there are no breaks allowed for power to the pod which is our mailbag episode that happens every week and uh Friday just happened to be the draw based on the timing of when the team reported to, to training camp and when practices started. Uh, first padded practice will be th- uh, Tuesday next week. Uh, and, and that's an important date to note because that will be the first day that I am scheduled to be in attendance at Dolphins practice myself. Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, So I'll be in town for four practices next week and uh, very excited to see the pads come on and see what the tone looks like and go from there. Uh, So, of course, we have power to the pod uh, that we're going to open up with some questions uh, that we had received throughout the course of the past week, starting with one from uh, MK. Did you see Nick Reich's Nick Wright's? QB ranking pyramid for this season. Can't believe how low he ranked too. He even had Zach Wilson ahead of him. Why did they continue to hate us so much? Um, and I'm not saying that Nick Wright is guilty of this, but this is, this is where people are at. And this is kind of how I realized. And, and this was an epiphany yesterday amidst all this, that it's just like 90% of the noise that you hear about hate on the dolphins is just bozo casuals. Uh, and I, I wish I had a better way to describe them that wouldn't get me uh, yelled at for non-family friendly language. And bozos, uh, kids, don't don't call people bozos either. It's it's still rude. But Teddy Bridgewater throws a, pra- a pass in practice yesterday to Jalen Waddle, who's wearing the orange jersey, and it's the clip that gets posted to hype up Jalen Waddle. And the comments are talking about how Tua underthrew the ball when Tua is a left-handed quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater is clearly the passer in question. I give up. I give up. It's not worth my energy. So uh, the kind of edgy Tua that showed up on Wednesday talking about if I can't hear you, you don't matter. Like, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, man. It's like... I can't afford to invest any more time into people who are so desperate to just dump on the Dolphins 
than to say, oh, look how much Tua underthrew that ball. Waddle had to go get it. You got to throw him a lot better ball than that. And it's not even the right-handed quarterback throwing the ball. Like, what are we supposed to do? So as far as Nick Wright and the QB ranking pyramid, it's Fox. Fox lights to be lightning bolt, as evidenced by Colin uh, Cowherd, who was like super into two before the draft, and he gets drafted, and he turned on him. And I don't know if you've noticed, but like Cowherd's back on. He's back on the Dolphins train. So, no, I did not see Nick Wright's QB ranking pyramid, but any ranking pyramid that puts Zach Wilson ahead of Tua Tungvaloa based off the information we have right now uh, is one that I would objectively argue is rooted in a whole lot of projection and not a lot of facts and reality for things that we've actually seen to this point in the NFL. Uh, summertime for the review on the show. Five stars. Shout out. Appreciate the review. Kyle does a great job of delivering a full breakdown of the team, celebrates the highs and find answers in the lows. You know, I hadn't thought of it that way, um, but I really like that phrasing of, of how I try to approach the team and always have a purpose to what we talk about, right? Uh, with a team like the Dolphins, I try to never get too high, especially because it's usually met with disappointment, but Kyle finds a way to keep me hyped while being realistic about the team. My question for Power of the Pod, it should is based on if we should have playoff expectations or still be focused on the process. Oh. With all the new pieces in current landscape of the AFC, I can't feel like we'll be, can't help but feel like we'll be on the outside looking in again. But if the team were to finish with another winning record with all these new pieces, I would still feel pretty optimistic. I feel like most fans are calling for playoff wins. Some will be calling for multiple, but I'm still thinking of baby steps. Would it be a failure? If the team is still not quite ready or considering all the immediate investments we made, should I be thinking bigger? This is a great question. This is a great question. And I think you can review both in the Brian Flores era and Chris Greer in general. Uh, they've been asked at times when they tore this down in 2019, like what is the expectation for competitiveness and the answer was always from both parties, from both Brian Flores and from Chris Greer, we don't really want to put a timeline on it. Um, and I, I think the Dolphins' process in team building, specifically retooling the roster, has been very good this offseason. Uh, in addition to the, the gains that they made from 2019 to the end of 2021. It would be a very hard pill to swallow to miss the playoffs for a third straight season with a winning record. The last time that's happened, the last time a team has just two times missed the playoffs in consecutive years with a winning record in the AFC was the Dolphins in the early 2000s. So for it to happen a third time, man... What are we going to shrug our shoulders and just say, well, what are you going to do? We're not good enough. Because that, that at the end of the day would be the litmus test is you have to be good enough to compete with the teams that are contending for championships. And I think Miami, in a lot of ways, is, is there from a talent perspective. But you make a reasonable point in you know, with a first year head coach and some of the changes. 
could it be that you know by the time they they get things figured out or, or it's just not quite enough I wouldn't get to the end of the year if the Dolphins were 10 and 7 and missed the playoffs I wouldn't get to the end of the year and say you got to tear it down and I think anybody who would make that argument is probably doing so in emotional frustration. But if you were to win 10 games and miss the playoffs, you would have to be very excited about the opportunity of having two first-round picks and five picks in the top 100 in the coming NFL draft and say, hey, we need to put our foot down on the gas again like we did last year. Don't go out and get a bunch of 33-year-olds and pay them premium dollars. And I still think you, you, there would be some personnel tweaks that, that would probably have to be made as far as positional spending and investments and how your, your dollars are committed. But I still think we can, we can be focused on the process and being process-oriented, but at some point the results have to match. I don't think this year would be make or break if you're 9-8 and eight or 10-7 and seven and say, Strip it down again, because the nucleus is still very strong. And I think you can look at a lot of the teams that have conducted these uber-aggressive rebuilds, the Cleveland Browns, in basketball, the Philadelphia 76ers. And they're, they're not great examples because they haven't won championships, right? But they are organizations who structurally decided that we need to crawl before we can walk and walk before we can run. And the Dolphins made that decision in 2019. They said, we have to crawl before we can walk. Well, we're, we're, we're walking now. But can we run? Uh, we don't know. But those organizations that transition time into becoming legitimate contenders, like the Browns have one of the best rosters in the AFC. And everybody who was a part of that initial decision is long gone by now. In Philadelphia, say what you will, but like, didn't they have the the number one seed in twenty twenty, the twenty twenty season? And this this past year, they were the number four seed or three seed, and missed winning the division by like two games in the NBA. I don't know. I I look at that. I look at those proofs of concept to say you can still stay the course even if the results don't come the way that we want and expect them to. Our, our expectations are expectations because, let's be honest, the team has the talent to achieve that. And I, uh, But I, the one thing I don't foresee happening is any outcomes that we perceive to be realistic outcomes for the Dolphins to say, we got to go back to square one, or we got to really blow this thing up. And I think that's... That's an important distinguishment to make in my mind. Perhaps you want to bet on, uh, on how many games the Dolphins win. I'm in on double digits. Absolutely. We got our, our friends over Bet Online that can help get you the winnings uh, that, that you're primed for if you're ready to, to take the over on Dolphins wins this year. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games from Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports waging information from live in game betting, scores, and podcasts that have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action. Bet Online, where the game 
starts. Summertime, thanks for a very thought-invoking question. Um, shout out to uh, Rosa. Great show. Covers it like an educated fan. Ben, question on team captains. With some complimentary words at the front about creating captivating content in the offseason. And I know not everybody would agree with you, but thank you very much. Uh, my question, looking at potential team captains for our Dolphins this year, I'm wondering if Tua finally gets the C patch on his uniform. The absence of Tua as a captain never really bothered me too much, but now looking back, I do find it odd that a starting quarterback wasn't considered to be a team captain, as most NFL teams consider their starting quarterback to be the biggest leader in the building, regardless of experience. Was Tua's lack of captainship regime bias? Or do you see him earning that title this year? Better question is an important, significant either way. Uh, I, I do think it's the quarterback position is one of those positions where I do think you have to command and invoke a certain level of respect. Now, how you get that respect is achieved in different ways and different approaches. And it sounds like the, the point of focus for Tua Tungvaloa this offseason within the Dolphins organization has been be true to yourself. I certainly think based on what we have found out to this point in time, whether it was a Brian Flores leaning, whether it was a Tua Tungavaloa leaning, for whatever reason, I certainly think the dynamics that existed last year in which your starting quarterback was undermined by public trade rumors that the head coach refused to dismiss for 10 months, eight months, I certainly think that had some level of influence on Tua's leadership status and captainship status with the team last year. Does it matter at this point? No, it's water under the bridge. I know Coach McDaniel talked about this uh, earlier this weekend. He has asked about captains, and he made it abundantly clear that he's a fan of democracy. And as a result, the players are going to be the ones responsible for choosing those conduits between the coaches and the players as the captains on the team. I would also say this, based on the vocalness of Tyreek Hill, and I guarantee you a player as accomplished as Tyreek Hill is going to command and invoke a lot of respect within a young Dolphins locker room. I guarantee you his abundant, vocal, loud support of Tuatunga Valoa is going to significantly hold value for players in that locker room in deciding who the captains are going to be in the favor of Tua Tungvalu. So with that in mind, yes, I do personally expect that we will get to uh, the start of the season and you will see Tua Tungvalu representing his team as a captain. Dylan, are you going to be at training camp next week? You bet your bottom dollar I am. Does a bear relieve himself in the woods? As a one-legged duck swim in a circle? Heck yeah, I'm going to be at training camp next week. I'm excited. I did it last year. I had a chance to go down last year and uh, had a chance to stay for a couple of practices. Uh, my sample size will be doubled this year, which I'm very excited for. The first four days of padded practices as scheduled uh, is where my attention and attentiveness uh, is going to be. So uh, I'll be in South Florida for five nights uh, for four padded practices. And uh, they are all the practices that are scheduled to be open for the public. So uh, I would love to serve as the people's champ in attendance. And if you guys are going to be there, let me know. 
Uh, would love to hear from you. Would love to meet you. Would love to talk a little Dolphins football with you. Uh, we obviously will be heavy on the content train, both here with Locked On Dolphins and with the Draft Network, uh, creating content surrounding uh, the experiences here at Dolphins Camp next week. Uh, but I will be in starting the Tuesday practice through that weekend. Uh, I am scheduled to be in town. So, uh, yes, we'll be there. Very excited to be there. Looking forward to it. Uh, JZW, great show. Got an observation and a question. Okay. Okay, let's do that. Bunch of national pods have been spending the offseason going on and on about how if you don't have one of the QBs in the Bills-Chiefs playoff game or similar, you may as well give up. Newsflash, neither of those guys made the Super Bowl, and if you're looking back to 2000, I count three Super Bowl-winning quarterbacks with otherworldly physical skills, Mahomes, Stafford, and Rodgers. So let's not give up on the next 10 years just because we didn't get Justin Herbert. I agree, and that, that's your observation, and I agree. There, there is a plethora of ways to build a winning roster. Um, now, you, you might get through part of your process and having built around one quarterback and say, hey, we need an upgrade in this regard in the same way that the Rams built around Jared Goff and then made a decision to say, hey, we need a more dynamic player at this position and let's go get Matthew Stafford. And lo and behold, it's the first year they won the Super Bowl. So those opportunities to change will be there if it is the necessary decision to make. But again, this goes back to being process-oriented versus results-oriented and one of the questions that we answered earlier. You got to stay process oriented in how you're approaching building your team because you never know when that light bulb is going to come on for that young quarterback. Or if you get to a certain point through that evaluation process and you say, hey, we have a real opportunity here. We've built this a certain way and a player with a skill set that we feel like would give us more dynamic plays available. We can go get it. And, and all of a sudden it, it can change for you like that. The Bucks, year one with Tom Brady, won a Super Bowl. The Rams, year one, Matthew Stafford, won the Super Bowl. Like, but they didn't get there just because they brought that player in too. So whether it's to a tongue of a lower, it ends up being somebody else. It's important to stay process oriented in, in having good process and building your roster out and having sustainability with it. And sustainability with it is an important note that I'm going to have uh, for a little later in the show with another question that we have that came up. Uh, so I agree with your observation. My question is, how would you compare Bryce Young to Tua Tungvaloa. From everything I've read, they seem like very similar players. If Tua ends up being unsuccessful, why would Bryce Young fare better? Thanks. Okay, a little, little draft question here. Let me get up in my chair a little bit. Let me, let me make sure I'm ready. Get up on my microphone a little bit. I look at Bryce Young and Tua Tungvaloa, and I am not certain what skill set that Bryce Young has that I would consider to be better than Tua Tungvaloa based on the evaluation of Tua Tungvaloa, the player coming out versus Bryce Young, other than durability. Tua took on a couple of tightrope surgeries to repair high ankle sprains. He had a, a thumb issue. He, of course, had the hip. Bryce Young hasn't had those yet. But Bryce Young is a smaller player than Tua Tungvaloa. I think their arm strength is comparable. I think their accuracy is comparable. I think their quick feet within the pocket and their innate feel for navigating the rush is comparable. They play within the same system and the same infrastructure. 
which the system largely does not change. There, I mean, there's minor tweaks and variances, uh, but the, the offensive structure didn't change too much. I know the infrastructure largely say the same, regardless who the offensive coordinator is. So that's that's the question that that I think is very interesting as we get through this evaluation process, because I look at the two players and I hold them up against each other. And I had a chance to talk with Bryce Young. I met him at Steve Clarkson's quarterback retreat in Santa Monica this summer. Super engaging individual. Very humble. Has that same demeanor, that laid back demeanor that Tua has. Bryce has that as well. And I'm rooting for Bryce Young. But I think it's fascinating that Bryce Young is your consensus number one quarterback. Or not consensus. A lot of people like C.J. Stroud. But Bryce Young is considered a, a top, consensus top quarterback prospect in this year's draft. And one of the most popular things you can do in the NFL spectrum right now is make fun of Tua Tungvaloa. You get a pick a lane here, right? So where's the truth? Is it that, that they're both not going to be any good? That they're they're both amazing and we just don't know it? Or probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't have a good answer for you as why Bryce Young would fare better because, as I said, I look at the resume of Tua Tungvaloa coming out of Alabama and the resume that we have right now for Bryce Young and from a physical skills perspective and a strengths and weaknesses perspective, they are incredibly better, but I think things probably skew other than durability and availability. Things skew in favor of Tungvaloa. So just bear that in mind. I think that that's a really great point that you bring up, and I'm glad that you did because um, there's a lot of interesting layers to dig into there when you dig through the tape. Chad with a question. While bringing in Armstead and Williams is a big upgrade for the offensive line, the success of the unit depends more on the development of Liam Eikenberg and Austin Jackson. I think last, I think last year a lot of us assumed Austin Jackson would take a step forward, and he didn't. So if that happens again this year, what do we do? Do we kick Rob Hunt out to tackle? Do we sign a free agent off the street to protect the blind side? Do we try out Coleman or Deesh? Same questions apply to Liam. It's my firm belief that the coaching staff is a significant improvement, so hopefully it doesn't come to this. I agree with you in the coaching staff. Uh, I agree with you with the step forward uh, not being taken from Austin Jackson, and, and that's something that I know I've talked about with um, – with young players in general is you're going to see any number of them that take a large, significant step forward. You see some of them that will take a marginal step forward and some of them that do not take a step forward at all. There's no question that Austin Jackson was in the third and final bucket. The hard pill to swallow is you look at that 2020 first round class. And I thought Tua took a marginal step forward last year. He didn't take a magnificent leap. Austin Jackson did not progress at all. And it's really hard to say what Noah Benogany did or didn't do because we didn't see him play. So it can be assumed that it wasn't an exponential leap. Raekwon Davis, I thought, took a marginal step forward. Robert Hunt took, I think, an exceptional step forward. Brandon Jones took, I think, what could be considered an exceptional step forward. So you look at those first six picks from 2020, and you, you got exceptional steps forward from two out of the three. You got marginal steps forward from two out of the three. You got no steps forward or, or immeasurable marginal steps forward from two out of the th or two out of the six. Two, two, and two. Law of averages, right? It's just ideally you would like to see the in incremental, large incremental leaps coming from the guys you took at the top of the draft. 
If that happens again this year, what do we do? I still think we, I still think you add somebody somewhere along the way. Um, I don't think you could just say, well, if Austin doesn't work out, then we'll just take Liam and put Liam there and kick Connor out to right or left guard and put Dieter back at center. Like, I don't, I don't think you can do that. Uh, I don't think the Coleman's and Dishes of the world are the answer that you're looking for. Maybe Robert Hunt out to, to tackle is the option. Um, would I love that for Robert Hunt's development after he really took a big step in the back half of the year? No. But this is kind of, the Dolphins are on, on a tightrope right now. Balancing, getting the offensive line right. Getting more investments into the room with balancing that with, we've made a lot of investments in talented young players. And I'll say this, I don't know if you guys saw on the comments from uh, Chase Edmonds to um oh what was the i want to make sure i get this right hold on tyler dunn go long uh and he he's done a three-part profile of chase edmonds and his story and throughout that you know obviously the subject of Tua tungvaloa came up and i thought what the the quote that really jumped out to me was from Chase Edmonds, and this is about the offensive infrastructure in general. And this this comes from Go Long with Tyler Dunn. I want to give him all the credit for this. Strongly recommend it. Chase Edmonds, when asked about the offensive infrastructure and how that impacted the quarterback, but this extends the offensive line as well. The OC and the offense pause, the way it was run, pause, was terrible. It was absolutely terrible, okay? He just didn't have the right pieces around him. Now he has the right pieces. He'll be just fine. That is Chase Edmonds' quote talking about the offensive infrastructure with Miami. Player coming in, talking to his teammates, described as absolutely terrible, which I think a lot of us knew from watching all the tape. But to hear that kind of descriptor, that's why the team is betting what they're betting. But I don't know how many more options you're going to find out there on the market right now that are actively more robust and dynamic and impressive to get you through. And that's the risk that they're running. Ellen, been a Dolphins fan since 71 in the Super Bowl six loss. Love the show. You're my first Dolphins listen. Every day, given the fact that our O-line may be a potential issue, explain how the addition of the fullback could help to, especially on his blind side. It's always been a big fan of the two-back set. Keep up the good work. My wife and I are celebrating 35 years of marriage this October and will be in attendance against the Viking. Thanks. So Ellen is the username. Ronnie is the guy who left the review. Ronnie, shout out. Congratulations to you and the missus. Thanks for making Locked On Dolphins your first Dolphins listen of the day. Uh, how the fullback could help so, you're going to make me go down a pathway here. Uh, get up on the soapbox. So, different protection schemes. Obviously, you've got your five-man protection, your six-man protection, your seven-man protection, your eight-man protection, which is your max, usually your max protection. Sometimes you'll get up to nine. But the way that you can accomplish six-man protections with a two-back set, including a fullback, I think is very, very helpful. 
um, for allowing you to continue to keep your dynamic pieces. First and foremost, if you're in a two-back set, you're probably going to be in 21, which means you got two backs and a tight end on the field. When you're in 21, you're going to invoke a lot of base defense, which means you're going to have four defensive linemen, three linebackers behind it, two corners, two safeties. Or you may end up with, if they run odd front as their base, that you might get five defensive linemen, two of them as outside rush linebacker types, and then two stack linebackers behind it. Safety that's probably going to be rolled down into the box to get eight in the box. That in itself, if you're, you're prompting eight-man boxes with a two-back set, and then you're going to run six-man protection where the fullback is involved in that, that leads to so much opportunity for play action passing. And when you play pass, what I like about play pass is when you're in two back sets and you have a fullback on the field, that fullback can run his track just like he were blocking. And instead of being charged with being in the backfield and running a scam protect where I got to work inside backer that's not the mic that the center's going to step to, to whoever the outside player is that might be threatening off the edge. You're making, you're predetermining that decision where that fullback can run that track like he's going to run lead or he's going to run wide zone. And he's responsible for working outside that offensive tackle. So when you play pass, the fullback is going to deliver the blow as compared to making a scan protection flat-footed, and then having to go get whoever his assignment is and catch it, increasing the likelihood of him catching a blow deeper in the backfield instead of playing forward and aggressively addressing that block closer to the um, cup of the pocket. So I hope that makes sense. So you can be more assertive and set your contact point for your back in protection further away from the quarterback. That's a win. Also, by manipulating and creating more eight-man boxes and base defensive personnel, you've got less dynamic defenders on the field. And then you can actually involve your running back in the passing concept as compared to, well, we're going we're gonna to have a back on the field, we're going to run six-man protection, but the back is going to stay in and protect. Well, no, your, your, your back's a great mismatch against linebackers to go out and actually run around. So that back and that play pass can push right through, slip right past that fullback, get up on that linebacker's toes, have an option route and shake and break free. And if they're running high volume boxes and you're running man to man on the outside with a safety up on the top, you get a lot of run after catch opportunities. So there's a couple ways that those things all work together. Um, I could certainly go more into conceptually in the structure of, of how you manipulate and move your offensive lineman when you have a fullback as part of your protection scheme. And the benefits of that is compared to a tight end who's kind of declared on the outside post of one of the the sides of the line and, and having the fullback to kind of be a more multiple piece to slide around whole bunch of ways that that works. So uh, thanks Ronnie for, for getting me all fired up. Speaking of getting me fired up, waffle Derek is going to do his best. So I'm going to get into character here because uh, waffle Derek is a longtime listener, self-described really appreciate the good content, but every once in a while, it'd be great to get a bold Kyle, the unhinged dolphins fan take. I'll start. There's a, there's a whole bunch of hype in here. And then at the end, he says, Kyle, I love your grounded approach, but sometimes in all caps, this is the energy we need. So keep it up. So I'm, 
I'm going to just get into character and, and, and you're going to get Kyle, the unhinged dolphin fan take courtesy of waffle Derek. And I'm going to buy in all the way. And we're going to be full set. Feel bad for teams in the AFC that have to play the dolphins. We have McCochin, the run guru calling plays for the Samoan site sniper in a perfect run first run after catch attack system. That's catered to him. We have a stacked running back room with three starting running backs at our disposal. The fastest running back in the league who dropped 220 yards on the Packers in the NFC Championship game in this exact system. Did I mention we have Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill and Mike Kosecki in a deep wide receiver room that includes 200-plus pound wide receivers and yak monsters and Lynn Bowden Jr. and Eric Esukamna and Cedric Wilson? We have a top defense coming back. We brought everybody back along the way. Added depth in the upside of Jalen Phillips and Javon Holland. Did I mention Melvin Ingram now in the mix as well? We got, what, four starting caliber edge defenders? We're running two deep across the entire secondary? You want to run dime? Great. I'll take our guys to win one-on-one matchups the entire time. Patriots? Jets? Forget about it. Bills? What's up? Keep your eyes peeled. That's uh, that's Kyle, the unhinged Dolphins fan. So I'm sure that definitely won't get clipped and taken out of context anywhere. But uh, thanks for the review, Waffle Derek. I will try my best to buy into the hype as um, as I allow myself to. But uh, trying to stay objective here as we close with Mike uh, from Denmark. Uh, love your show. It's the best off-season Dolphins content I can get. Thank you very much. There's no greater compliment that you can uh, that you can pay me. My question is related to the O-line depth. Disappointed to see Chicago sign Riley Reef to play tackle. Meanwhile, we are wasting money on Mohamed Sanu at wide receiver. Maybe Reef was a little expensive, and I'm not sure how he fits with our style of offense, but I feel like he could have pushed Jackson and given us some reliable depth, for sure. It was only a one-year deal, so we could have moved on easily, but it would have given some additional peace of mind. I think the team can really reduce the risk of the O-line derailing with one more smart move. What do you think? I agree with that. Um, pulling something up real quick. So when we talked a little bit about process and maintaining good process for sustained long-term success, the ramifications of signing, and I don't know how much money we're paying Mohamed Sanu. The terms of that contract haven't been made public. Uh, but this is a one-year deal. He's 33-year-old wide receiver. I would expect it's there's probably no guaranteed money. I think there's still a chance Mohamed Sanu doesn't even make the Dolphins roster. $12 million for Riley Reef is not good process for the cap ramifications that would exist for Miami, in my opinion. I am glad the Dolphins did not sign Riley Reef for the dollars in question because it's most likely a $10 million contract with a couple million dollars in additionals that are going to be available. Uh, the Dolphins have approximately $16 million in cap space, according to overthecap.com. So if you sign Riley Reef to that contract and he ends up playing it, and Riley Reef, yes, he would be peace of mind. Yes, he'd be a phenomenal veteran addition as a swing tackle. He'd be probably pushing for a starting role. But Riley Reef last year was not the level of improvement that I would need over whoever is going to play right tackle to warrant that kind of investment when the domino effect for Miami to lose all of their carryover cap space for the following year when the Dolphins are currently scheduled to be $2.4 million over the cap for 2023. Now, the good news 
is that's very easily manipulated. The good news is that 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 salary cap total uh, features almost exclusively play, players that I would not lose sweat off my back if the Dolphins did not bring back. Mike Gusecki is obviously the, the prominent player who's on the franchise tag. And if you wanted to make room for him, you could very easily do that. But the Dolphins right now can solve this problem by being responsible with their cap. And whatever they don't use this year, they can carry over to the following year. So you can go from negative $2.5 million to approximately $14 million, $13.5 million above, under the salary cap as things currently stand. And then you don't have to worry about getting into restructures and deferring additional guaranteed money and all that jazz. That, to me, is very important because Riley Reef got probably six times the amount of money that I think he probably was, was valued at and maybe three times the valued money just because he's an offensive tackle and he's a proven starter in the NFL. But Riley Reef for $12 million to go play for the Chicago Bears and be guaranteed a starting spot, to think what Miami's ballpark offer would have had to be to get him to come here instead with not even having a guaranteed roster spot available to him. And I didn't necessarily think he's a strong schematic fit at this point in his career anyway. Was a move that I'm not upset by being made. What's concerning to me about it is what the financials of that deal are going to mean for any efforts the Dolphins make moving forward. They're going to have to find the right fit to bring in. And maybe that means it's a trade. But I agree with you at the, at the core of your observation that the Dolphins would be well served to find somebody else to bring in for peace of mind. Hope you guys enjoyed this ride here on Power to the Pod. We went a little long today, but uh, you guys brought the heat. So blame yourselves for these uh, couple extra minutes here on the back end that we went over versus what we usually do. Kyle Krabs, fins up. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. I'll talk with you all again on Monday. And then on Tuesday, the podcast will be coming out a little later than usual because it's going to be reacting to day one of Pats. Can't wait. See you then. Fins up. Make it a great weekend, guys.